This is episode 11 of Biblically Speaking, a conversational question and answer show with two guys from Millard Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Oftentimes, I just make John answer uh, Bible questions that I have, but I'd love to represent your questions as well. So go to our website, fill out the contact form, and submit your Bible questions so we can talk about them on the show. Enjoy! Okay, so we're kind of been stuck on this perseverance topic. We could spend a long time on it. And I don't want to spend too long on it, but there are plenty of sections that that people get tripped up with regard to the successful life of the Christian and what the Bible has to say about it. So there, there's one more spot here that I want to look at today. We've been in First John a lot. We're not going to go back there today unless you pull us back in there. But I did want to look at one more portion that I find quite often cited as a proof text, so to speak, for the uh, successful completion, the guaranteed successful completion for all who are saved. And if you don't succeed successfully, then you aren't really saved. So that is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, which says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay. So. You want to use that as a, as a section which, which seems to imply perseverance. Yeah. First of all, we have, to, we have to take, in this verse, we have to look at two different things. Who's you? Who do you think you is in that verse, Jared? Who do you think you is? Uh, isn't it the same you as verse 2? Grace be to you. I think it is. Well, who's the you? In verse 2? Yeah. Specifically or generally? Specifically. Well, it says in verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. Yes, okay. So who's the you? Specifically? The saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. Yeah, the saints in Philippi, right? Yeah. But not one guy in Philippi. No, there's more than one here. All of them? Yeah. All right. So now look at verse 6. Okay. This is a letter to a church, right? This is one of the church epistles. Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Right, right. That he that began a good work in you, who's you? The Philippian church. The Philippian church. So this is about the work that's being done in the church. So this doesn't apply to individuals? Well, it's plural. It's plural here, right? This is a plural you. Is it? Grace be to you. Yeah. Plural. This is about that he that be... And by the way, whose persistence is this about? Is this about persistence of the saints? Or is this about about the persistence of the Lord? It's about the persistence of the Lord, but that seeming to, you know, rub off or to apply in them. Well, that God doesn't quit on you, is that the same as you don't quit on God? Because I've had a lot of people quit on me that I didn't quit on. I understand how this is misused, (laughs) okay? But like most scriptures, right, when doctrine is perverted and it comes out, it's because we get the scriptures wrong. And so when you read this, and I know a fellow who adopted this, called it his life verse. He that began a a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning that, that this is some kind of inner working that Jesus is doing inside of you. He went away to prepare a place for us. He didn't stay to, 
to do a work in us. And, and the work that's done in you, frankly, it's, first of all, realize that it's already been done. The sinless man, the new man, is in you. He's there. That's done. That was done instantaneously when, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And by the way, there is a new creation, and it's in me too. So this idea of progressive sanctification, we have to be real careful what, how, we, how we see that. If we see a progressive sanctification as the maturation of a believer who gains experience and hope, so forth, as the formula in Romans chapter 5 tells us, okay? Equation for hope. Yeah. If, you know, patience works experience. Experience hopes over tribulation works patience. Patience, experience, experience, hope. If we understand that, that the trials of life work to give us experience that produce a maturation in our life as we follow in faith, and we see that as, and we call that, if we call that a progressive sanctification, okay, then there is this further setting apart that goes on as one realizes more and more God's will. Huh? But that is not God's work in you, per se, and, and here's the fact. As you know, I'm, I'm depressed today. I'm having a depressed m moment here, so we're going to capture that on, on audio. Okay. But if I, if I go look at me inside to get my motivation, should I say, or my hope, look at the work that, the good work that God has begun in me and now is still doing in me, Wow, this is great. I feel real good about that. That never happens. Why doesn't it happen? Because that's not our, the source of our, of our hope. The, the, the source of our hope is him. It's a future thing. Yeah. So what this I would actually, by the way, just, just what Philippians 1.6 means is that, that the Lord will continue to work among his people until the day of Jesus Christ when his people are taken out. That is, he will not stop working, which, frankly, a couple thousand years later, it's nice to read that because average guy would have given up on, you know, the average Christians generations ago. Going back to this thought of a work done in you, mm -hmm. it just reminds me of what uh, Galatians 2, where he says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Isn't that saying that Christ lives does? his life in us? That's what that literally says, the, the verse you just quoted. Christ yeah. lives his life in us. Yeah, the, the, the new man lives the life The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So isn't it Christ and faith in Christ that in you is producing good works, if, if that's yes, happening? Yeah, of course. It, it, of so course. That's not the good uh, works that he's begun, though. The good work that he's begun in you, that he's going to complete until the day of Jesus Christ, is in your midst. That, 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 and this is what most Christians fail to even consider, especially if you become uh, some kind of introverted Calvinist. And that is that God's working among his people. He works in the midst of his people. It's not just all about you. In fact, the Christian life is supposed to be more about your brother than you. Remember, we we yeah. looked at First John. And remember how we, we were really being warned about something there. We weren't we weren't being threatened with the loss of eternal life. We were being warned about hating our brother. Right. 
So the Bible's a lot about that. Philippians is a mature uh, epistle. You know, it's not, no, this is not inaugurated doctrine, and it's not especially a doctrinal epistle, although it has some very important doctrine in it. But And you say it's mature both because of placement and because of content and because of the Philippians themselves, right? Because of the life of Paul. You know, I mean, the Bible matures as the life of Paul does. Yeah. In fact, one of the one of the marvels of of First Corinthians chapter eleven, you know, the love chapter that people read at weddings and yeah. pay no attention to it, is that Paul says, "When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I spoke as a child." He 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 could he could have made that third person. And he said you could have said. Children, when they're children, they play with things, and when they get older, they yeah. put away childish things. But that, Paul didn't say that because the scripture actually develops along the life of Paul. Yeah, mm. with him. And yeah, that's personal. amazing. Yeah, it, the scripture is so intentionally personal that at one point he says, "I say not the Lord," not meaning that, not meaning that the Lord doesn't say it, meaning that I'm saying something the Lord never said. That's in First Corinthians seven where he says that. Now, right. Doesn't he also refer to the gospel as his gospel? Yes, my gospel. Which is very personal, even though he's not talking about the good news of Paul, but he's... Well, he has good news that nobody else has. Yeah. So it is his gospel. It's not about him, though. No, but it's his. It's his, but it's not about him. No, that's right. Well, kind of interesting, too, because this is yours. This scripture is yours uh, to understand and to live out, but it's not about you. It's about us. It's about us. Just reminds me of uh, we've been studying Second Corinthians a bit at our church, and it reminds me of what he says, uh, which is quoted out of the Old Testament when he says uh, he, he's talking about separation, the Second Corinthians six, and he says you're the you are the temple of the living God. Again, that's you plural there, you all, right? Just like in Philippians, the you that he's begun the good work in, and then he says God has said I will dwell in them, and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Of course, that's referring back to what he was saying about Israel, but now, of course, about the church. Yes. And there we have a plural dwelling, right? Like he's in our midst. Yes, and that's locally expressed. It's not that this isn't to be experienced, enjoyed, understood, and all that. It is. Properly. Philippians 1.6. Yeah. But what people miss is that God expresses this in a local church. All of the we's in togethers and everything in the in the scripture the context almost always is the local church you're supposed to actually experience and enjoy that with a fellowship of in, inside the, the, the you know the community of believers where you live and eat and hate <laughs> with the people that you're likely to hate see so and you see that locality when you say it's almost always in the context you're referring to like the introduction to the letter right yeah. i mean is that where we get that from yes it's written to a local people it's not yeah. written to a region although there are some that are kind of written to areas right a little bit yeah like those in galatia you know there's you know the churches you'll, you'll see though it'll say churches speaking of galatia by the way you know they had the same good beginning doctrinally that Philippians did you know, he began in fact Paul says in the third chapter he goes like you began right now what's up with you guys mm-hmm. you know who's bewitched you later he says that but he tells him when he's exhorting him early you know in the middle right in the third chapter he says you know you began well what's hindering you here and of course he knows all the answers this is you know kind of a Socratic provoking method. them yeah. yeah he's using you know a common pe- pedagogy to 
to bring them to the kind of conclusion that they need to come to, which is, yeah, it's our fault. Yeah. We need to straighten ourselves out. We need to quit listening to these idiots. And so that's, you know, we're kind of talking about listen to the wrong doctrine, right? That's what we're talking about right now. By the way, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the uh, Calvinistic view of persistence, which is, which is off base. And there's the other... The reason that the Calvinist position is so highly appreciated is because the position that they oppose, which is the Arminian position, is so awful. And you're like, look, so this of... is better than that. And if I had to choose, you know, between door number one and door number two, yeah, Pick yeah, I'd thing. hang with the, you know, I'd hang with the. If it's Sunday morning and I got to go to a Pentecostal church, or I got to go to the Calvinist church, I'm probably and I don't know anybody. I'm probably going to Calvinist church because, you know, it's not going to be as crazy as those Armenian types get, which tell you that you lose your salvation. So the Pentecostals and Arminians, are those oh, yeah, the same co- group, or are they well, just kind of cross yeah, paths? Well, yeah, uh, they're doctrinally together. Okay. Yes. Well, one leads to the other. Okay. You can start with Pentecostalism and its whole, its whole um, orientation to sight and realize that you're not going to come to faith. I mean, you could just do that. You could just go like, yeah, this is all about sight. It's not about faith. Yeah. Plus, they're lying about miracles. You know, they just lie about them. They say, that was a miracle, and it wasn't. Right. And now they're trying to get me to do this miraculous thing. And I mean, if it's a miraculous thing, I don't have to do anything. And then, right. why does nobody ever understand what they're talking about? And why is it always women and just a bunch of other stuff? How come they love the Pope so much? A lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay, there's just a whole bag of that. And so... You know, when you, you, you find, you know, more disorderly brethren and that kind of a thing and the women prominence and just all kinds of stuff that, you know, you, you know, just kind of instinctively turns you off. You know, nature teaches us some things about men and women. And then and then you go to, you know, the more staid Calvinistic types and you go like, wow, these are more orderly people, number one. And then number two. They're not trying to tell me I can lose my salvation. They tell me, you know, that I that I am my salvation. But then they tell me, but you know, persistence is a guarantee. You know, if, if you stop, if you don't persist, then you probably weren't really saved. Mm-hmm. So I faced that obstacle. But in in the other side, the, the more ridiculous side, the Armenian side, you're faced with, well, yeah, you can lose your salvation if you, you know, if you sin. Well, what do you mean if I sin? Well, you know, your sins have to change. You can't sin so much. And I, and then they finally go, you got to come to a place where you never sin anymore, like me. And you'll find guys that say that. Yeah, you know, I, I knew a guy. I got saved when I was 19 years old, and I haven't sinned since. Okay, guy on the TV says that in Akron, Ohio. Ridiculous, yeah. you know. So... But the Arminian position is that you can lose your salvation, and then because they want to know some people that aren't going to, they talk about things like second blessing, where I get to where I don't sin anymore, and all right. kinds of other right. bizarre doctrines that are in the face, again, of First John, right? If we say we don't sin, we lie. He makes sure you don't say that kind of thing. And then, uh, which is what I tell people when they tell me that, and I don't sin anymore. Well, that's, that's a sin right there, you're lying. So because that thing is out there in abundance, by the way, the Armenian position, it's various flavors, mm-hmm. we sort of appreciate... <laughs> the lesser of two evils? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't want to... I don't want... 
Well, let's not call it evils. Well, let's 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 just speech. talk about the the the, the uh, more corrupt and less corrupt doctrine. Yeah. So you know, Calvinism at least gets some essential things right, mm-hmm. whereas the Arminian position doesn't. I say it's off base. There are Arminian people that will give the gospel out. You know, they'll just do that, and then they'll mess it up later. So that if you hear it when they're giving it out before they mess it up. You can still hear the truth and be saved and so forth. And, and I know that, you know, true believers that are of that position. Right. Um, but, but still, uh, it can't hold. It's not the work that God began in the Galatians, doctrinally. It's not the work he's performing with the, inside the Philippians. It's something other than that. Uh, so you say the audience here is very important, and the Philippians as an audience is important. You also said that this is a mature-er yes. Bu- letter. Yes. And you say that both because of Paul, where it sits in the Bible, the time it was written, and then also to the audience. So if just uh, an adjunct question to uh, verse 6 here. Do you see this as something that like Paul would not write to the Corinthians in their current state? Oh, yeah, could not. Could not write. So, like, not only is this not just globally applied to all Christians ever, it wouldn't even apply to all people that were Christians and alive at the time of this writing. Well, the Lord gave us the seed truth of that, didn't he? And he says, I've got a lot of things to tell you, but you can't hear them now. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll lead you into all truth. So there's the, you know, there is room inside the seed truth of the Lord Jesus, that of the progress of doctrine. What you're really talking about is progress of doctrine, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a wonderful thing to behold the progress of doctrine to the New Testament. If 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 you don't see that, you you don't handle it well. There's progress of doctrine throughout the whole Bible, by the way. I say the New Testament, but there's a progress of doctrine from the principle of progressive doctrine is that's why we talk about seed truths. Is you know Genesis one one and two. Yeah beginning all the way back. So when you say progress, you're referring to like foundational things and then they become more fully expressed. Yeah, they like we had seed truth to come to fruit and it bloom out in more detail. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and and in fact in it's in Philippians that Paul actually prays that they would have that capability, right? I mean, he's talking to them and he says he 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 says that, that his prayer for them is that they would be able to distinguish the things that differ or that they would be able to look at the details. So what made the Philippians so special? Nothing. Nothing. This is the good the good news of of that is that there's nothing special about the Philippians. They uh, we might call it a, a normal Christian church. The problem is abnormality. Mm. You know. Normally, just normally, the Christian church will blossom and and uh become fruitful. Uh, in, in all the ways that the Philippians were, in all the ways that the Thessalonians were. You know, we can really go look at them as more of the capstone kind of church. But um, there's a lot of biblical psychology in Philippians. We're not really taking up the book, but there's a right. lot of biblical psychology here. Of course, the great uh, revelation of the out-resurrection out from the dead is in Philippians, which the Apostle Paul uh, comes to. It's uh, Whenever I think of Philippians, I think of that marvelous truth and um, but there was also this idea of understanding the scripture in detail uh, the the Bible needs to be understood we could say in two ways okay first uh, uh, a, an outline of scripture needs to impo- be imparted to the believer and that's from another believer 
that's that's the one Paul talked about to Timothy, right? That uh, the form of sound words. The, the 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 form or the outline of sound words, the uh, things that he'd heard uh, from, from Paul, Paul among many witnesses, therefore vetted. Vetted. So does that have to come first then? Well, the okay. outline. Say the second part. Okay. Yeah, I think that the first thing that comes uh, out is, for the you know is is the de- the delivery of the outline of sound words, where you instead of looking at things in detail, you're probably you're looking more at the scope of things in you know in a broad outline, so you see the the general direction of doctrine. Okay, then once you now you can put now you have a, a nice cabinet with, you know, labeled drawers to put things as you learn them. Now you can open up one of those drawers and take the thing out. For example, you can look at the three resurrections of Scripture mm-hmm. and start examining the things that differ. See, first of all, you put them all in the same drawer because they were the things that are the same. Okay, so that's what outline is, right? Put, yeah. uh, classifying things that are the same. Then, a, then after you do that, but even now doing that is kind of distinguishing different things, isn't it? Well, it is. Level. It's a sort. You're saying might... these things are all the same. I'm going to put them in this drawer. These yeah. things are different than those things, but they're all the same. Right. Drawer. So it's, right. A, it's, it's a higher a level. Of, it's a bit of it. But yeah. now that you you know the, you, you distinguish things different, he's talking about that you that you develop a more detailed knowledge. That's what he, you know a more a more de- detailed knowledge and. And uh, this is called the epignosco, right? It is the higher knowledge, the deeper, mm-hmm. the higher, you know, whatever perspective, looking up or down, higher or deeper epi uh, knowledge. And so there is a deeper knowledge, you know. There's there there's and and that deeper knowledge is is uh, uh, some revealed in Philippians. And I, it's it's amazing to me how very very few people uh, plumb uh, some of the more obvious. If, if, if that's not a contradiction. The obvious deeper things, like the out resurrection out from the dead, for example, or the fact that there's a progress of doctrine, you know, in resurrection, in the standing up. You know, there's everybody up, and there's some up, some not up, and then there's some out from those that are up. And you've got this whole, yeah, it was a nutshell, wasn't it? Yeah. You got this, you do, but you do have, there is in, in doctrine, you know, moving on to deeper things and understanding the things that differ. And that's really, the thrust of the teacher and the thrust of God is to move whole churches to those positions so that Paul can write in Hebrews at what time you plural, all of you ought to be teachers. Yeah. You have one need you to, to teach you the first principles of the doctrine of Christ. You know, it's, it's a shame that we have to come back and recover first principles. What I don't like about this tulip thing and this five point Calvinism, even four point Calvinism, frankly, for the way that it's taught, is that it just keeps everybody on the basic things arguing it all the time, and they just never move on. Uh, you know, God permits. Yeah. God would permit us to move on if we'll move on. But the Calvinists and the Arminians have been having this argument for hundreds of years, and guys learn the argument. This is what Bible schools do. They teach you the arguments. They don't teach you the resolutions. They teach you the arguments. So they carry forward the argument, and then there's this camp, and these guys have a job with this church, and so they have to hold this position, or they got this agenda, or whatever. And then other guys have this one, and they think they need to fight them. Or they've got their arguments, and they just keep at it, and 
there are a few that go, wait a minute, you know, stop, you're both wrong. This is not about losing your salvation, and this is not about you inspecting somebody else's persistence, because that's what it gets down to. It's not about either one of those. What, the, what this is really fruit about... Fruit inspection, I've heard it called that. Fruit inspection, yeah, yeah. You know, God didn't make anybody a fruit inspector. <laughs> In fact, the parable of the tares, right? We're incapable yeah, we mess of up. pulling up weeds. We, you know, we will pull up weeds, so don't. Leave that to the angels. Well, let me just say that the reason I'm down on the Calvinists is because I'm partly one of them. I mean, we, you know, we went through the things that you can agree with. Yeah, Calvinism. and there weren't so, all things that yeah, were. So, so I'm a little more upset with them because they're my friends, I guess I could say that. But, yeah. uh, the, you know, Arminians, it's hard to even have a talk with them. And generally, you know, you got to talk to the women. But, uh, which, you know, I'm not going to do that. So I'm not going to have doctrinal discussions with women where as peers, because they're not, they're easily deceived, obviously. J. Vernon McGee said the tongues movement would stop if women would be quiet, like they're told. But he's gone. And it's, I think it's still, I think that it's gone television or whatever, but I think it's still going on. I don't know. I don't, I don't trouble myself with it anymore. Um, but, you know, insofar as we're doing a broadcast, we're likely to be talking to some people that, you know, are in it or whatever. Well, so get out of it. God has his people and he'll He'll put you together. And I'll, actually, when you think about that God will persist, Philippians 1.6, yeah. look at our church. You know, well, you, you weren't around, but you came into a real church. I came into a group of people who all left left me holding a lawsuit bag and you know, there was me and my kids and my wife and two other women and we were more like by the riverside there uh like lydia did here and, and we were more in that stage than 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 the letter writing stage mm. until some men came in and some other families and you know things have been like they are it's now we're a true little flock yeah, yeah anyway well, real quick, my mind is, is stuck back a bit on this outline thing. Okay. Um, because you, now you're taking it there. I am. Okay. Because you say this outline of sound words is something that we all need to understand the Bible. Well, absolutely. It's tied up It's tied up in its discussion with all Scripture. It's God's yeah. okay. So that seems like something, I mean, an outline, a broad view, right? Like... The form of sound words. Yeah, doesn't that seem like something that would be, in an academic sense, is easy to distribute or to teach on a massive scale? Why does it have to go individual to individual? Why can't this be like an online course? We can all get our outline of sound words, and then like the deeper things can 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 happen either individually. Why does that fail as a mechanism? You know, institutional teaching, online courses for this type of stuff. Why does that fail? Well, first of all, let me ask you, do you know of any? Well, I haven't really looked, but... Well, you've, you've been taught the scriptures. Yeah, so that's why I haven't really looked. I mean, I've had, I've had teaching, but say I didn't have any, I was starved for it, right? I probably would look on the internet first, which that's kind of my generation. Um, and what are the chances you'd find anything that would do that work for you? I don't know. I mean, I realized that, you know, you actually did get teaching from the Internet because we had recordings up there and yeah. you, early on in your life. I mean, people should know early on in your life, you listened to hundreds of hours of preaching. Yeah. It was a good, smart thing to do. Yeah. And, but you, you also listened from a guy you, you knew. 
Right. So you could question if things arose, and also you found it as reliable as the guy you knew. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, obviously, you know, we're podcasting on the internet. We're, we're obviously using the technology that we can, but yep. why? Well, because the big things just fail. That's why. The big movements, they're never of God. Oh, we could take that apart and talk about why they aren't, and it's mm. because the enemy jumps on them and runs them. We're warned about things getting too big. We're warned about that in one of the great mystery True. parables, right? You got the parable the of tree. the mustard seed or the mustard bush, right. which becomes a tree. Mm-hmm. And so when it becomes a tree, what happens? Birds of the air nest in it. Now that's just fact. Okay. So you can, you can say why it shouldn't, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it does. We're, we're great. It's great to know the secret, right? The mystery. It's great to know the secret that it does. So can, when anything gets too big, you can just ignore it or anything gets too big. Yeah. Demon teaching birds of the air, demons, demon teaching. So Abraham had to chase the birds away from his sacrifice. You have to be very cautious that things don't get too big. Now, let me ask you something. Who's cautious about things getting too big? Virtually nobody. No, everybody, growth is everybody like wants big. Yeah. 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 I mean, hey, in my business, I want growth and big. All right. That's business. That's the world. Yeah. Big. The church? No, you don't want it to be too big. But by the way, the mustard seed in the garden is the biggest bush. So it's a big bush. Stay a bush, though. But it's a bush. Yeah. But a big one. It's a big, big herb. That's what God wants. God wants a nice, big bush. Yeah. And no tree. And here's the other reason. The outline has to be passed man to man. Because if it wasn't done that way, we wouldn't have any Bible. We wouldn't have any Bible teachers. We wouldn't have any truth. I, I'm, I'm, I'm 62. That's, that's old enough. So I won't say I know things as I should know, but I'm not going to say I don't know anything. I'm not an idiot. Uh, you know, although, you know, scripture, sometimes I get close to idiotes. Uh, being one, I've been one, but I would classify myself. Well, maybe I am just an idiot. <laughs> but anyhow, I'm not being an idiot right now. When I say that without the help of certain men in my life, I would never have come to the, the Bible knowledge that I do have. Whether it is what it should be or not, it's another question, but sure. I wouldn't have come to the knowledge that I, that I do have without God having given me specific individuals that helped me at, you know, at given times. Two of those individuals, I can tell you for sure, who both, by the way, when I knew them, were in their 80s. Both of those individuals had a urgent sort of important motivation inside themselves to impart what they did to me. They both considered it very important. And they both considered it important to put their hands on me and to put me into the ministry. Uh, and this is from, from God. This was a, I hate to say it's a God thing because, you know, that's so irreverent. Mm-hmm. But these were men that had things pressed upon them by God. And we both knew it to advance me in, into the ministry. And that's another thing that happens, you know. You, you talk about in part in the outline. A, a man is also put into the ministry by another man who is put into the ministry by another man who is put in the ministry. And that's all of God. That's how that's supposed to happen. So, of course, 
you know, just the very means that you talk about scaling up and all that, trying to scale up, we can look at the means that people have used to scale up that process that I've just talked about, which is putting men in the ministry. Mm -hmm. And we can see that those have, have failed because they're tree-like. Right. Those have completely failed. Now, as far as putting compendiums of information in repositories and then delivering those over to individuals, hey, that's always been something that a man of God does. You know, the men of God are the readers and writers in the world. They're the they're the literate people of the world and always have been. Mm. And so God invented the spoken word. God invented the written word. And for us to, you know, deliver both of those to people, uh, to, to teach them doctrine is so extremely important. On the other hand, this massive kind of thing or this systematic kind of thing that doesn't involve man-to-man, person-to-person, it's just never going to work. Now, whether or not somebody can try it and say they succeed or whatever, we look at the Bible and we find out that, no, the Scriptures need to be passed from individual to individual. And the crucible of that is the local church and the churches. There is, by the way, there is room for churches in Scripture. You do see local in the churches. Churches, yeah, they're all local. They're different localities. But two, like in the same spot, would be weird. Seems it seems that what we have is pretty weird right now because we have thousands of churches and yeah, metropolitan areas. Yeah, Vermont. yeah, like or you know, hundreds at least, yeah. hundreds if not that hundreds of churches in yeah. In fact. We've we've been meeting in the same place, the, 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 the geography, which, by the way, we're at when we do the recording, for uh, about 27 years or so, something like that. Twenty, I think 27 years at least I've been here. And in that time, you know, various storefronts pop open and shut or stay or whatever. In fact, another one just popped open here fairly recently. There's a Baptist one that just popped open in the shopping oh, really? center. And there's... You know the the the, uh, the Presbyterians left over here, so that I mean, come and go. You know, different yeah. different churches open and come and go. There's no call for that. You know, I never wanted to start anything. I never did. Well, I say never. I actually someone's got to start something. I mean, I actually did start a church in a village in Kenya. It was really collecting believers that were coming out of the Anglican and the Presbyterian churches. Uh, they wouldn't allow them to practice according to faith, and they started assembling in a home. So it wasn't like this, you know, evangelistic work that created a bunch of new believers that people think happens in remote places in Africa. You say, what about the in Africa? What about the guy in Africa? What if he hasn't heard? They've heard. I've been there. I've been in very, very remote places, and this church that I'm talking about is in a very remote place. And they still have heard the gospel, heard it before us mm. historically, heard it before there was any America. So, so anyway, but back to your question, why not? Well, because the Bible says this other thing. Yeah, it don't work. And then when you see now you're a young fellow and you think about this, you've got things to teach people now. You do. And you're teaching, and you are doing that. Mm-hmm. But you, you need to be satisfied that the work that you're doing with that guy, that one guy, that other guy, that that is God's that is God's work, and yeah, maybe you know, maybe you'll maybe you'll reach a boxing or somebody like that that'll reach thousands of people. Maybe you will yourself, but regardless, you know, this is the work. Mm-hmm. It's imparting that outline. It's man to man, and it's placing your hands on men carefully to put them in the ministry. 
it, it bothers me a great deal that what passes for credentials in the ministry is some piece of paper from some school that probably never should have been created. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Paul yeah. taught in a school, the school, school of Tyrannus, Tyrannus, which was a big school. You know, I mean, it was, he taught in there, but, you know, he didn't start one. Mm-hmm. He didn't start one. So, uh, and that was a school that taught everything, you know, literacy. It'd be like teaching Bible in a public school. You know? The public school said, we have a room that you can use here, teach the Bible, and I'd do it. Sure. Well, let's loop back around to, sure. to verse 6 here and kind of put a bow tie on this perseverance conversation. Um, yes. So you're saying that not only is this specific to the Philippians. And therefore us, as we match up with the Philippians. Right. Yeah. And it's a group thing. Mm-hmm. It's not about a single individual's performance. No, it's not. And it's not about, it's about the Lord's work. Yes. It's about him, not you. Yeah. And it's not guaranteed, this is not guaranteeing that all the Philippians will persevere and be pleasing to the Lord at the end of their life. It's not the topic. In fact, in this book of Philippians, right? In this book of Philippians, we have one of these uh, sections that the Armenians go get their leg up on you. Oh, where's that? In the third chapter. Enemies of the cross of Christ. No, 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 no. Much, much, much more benign. Oh. Just a misunderstanding of Scripture. Uh, verse 7 of Philippians 3. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now he's talking about winning Christ. Yeah. Okay? Well, that's overlooked, usually, and, and we're going to take out his idea of gaining Christ as a, something that's yet to be done. We're going to set that aside when we get our false doctrines going. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So he, you know, very clear that you don't abandon the principle of grace through faith. Mm -hmm. That's not what he's talking about. That I may know him, right? And this is deep knowledge, this Mm -hmm. deep personal knowledge, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, right? And uh, not as though I'd already attained, verse 12. So the Armenians take this thing, right? Yeah. And they go, you see, Paul didn't have the assurance of his salvation. He wasn't even sure he was going to rise from the dead. That's what they say. Right. And then they say, see, he's just still struggling for these, striving for it. Not as though we'd already attained, verse 12, or either we're already mature or perfect, but I follow after if I may take hold of that for which I am taken a hold of, of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended or to take a hold. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now that Armenians take that and say, Philip, Paul didn't have assurance. Mm-hmm. He's still trying to get to the resurrection. He's not sure about it. Well, the language of the scripture here is not rendered well. 
in most translations. And uh, therefore, you know, the Philippians are able to understand this because they're mature enough to distinguish the things that differ. And when they inspect in here carefully, they go, oh, Paul's not talking about the resurrection of the dead or even Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. He's talking about out from there. And he's talking about winning Christ. And he's talking about attaining uh, a prize of the uh, higher calling, the, high, the, the epi calling. There's a calling, there's a higher calling, there's a, there's a uh, knowledge, there's a higher knowledge, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a rest that's given, there's a rest that's learned. Um, there's um, these things, there's a justification by faith, there's justification by works, there's two of them. All these things that differ, that we distinguish, you take apart and say, yeah, no, there's different stuff inside this category of resurrection. Mm. There's things that differ inside the, the, the broad category of resurrection of the dead. There's things that differ inside the broad category of justification. There's, there's, there's things that differ here having to do with uh, having eternal life and winning a prize. And frankly, the explanation the Calvinists give here is not very good. They say, you know, basically this is their perseverance. So I'll see a real believer does this. Mm. A real believer strives and continues. Yeah. The, Paul's not talking about being a real believer. He's talking about being a mature believer. That's not the problem dealt with in Scripture. The New Testament Scriptures, as we've come to call them, all the Scriptures are written first and foremost to the people of God to instruct them on what's at stake and how to live their lives. And it's here, it is Paul trying to teach us how we are to look at things and what we're to live for. None of that can be viewed or considered until we've cleared the matter that we have eternal life. That's why that's why the devil gets on both sides of that Armenian Calvinist argument and keeps him arguing because until the believer is assured about his eternal life, he cannot move on to this, this maturity. And the devil actually knows better than we do sometimes, I think, that eternal life has been given and the power that we have because of it and sets about a strategy to just divert our attention from maturing. Mm. That's the whole stuff of spiritual war. I mean, the war against the saints is the war against them maturing. Yeah. You can't have your spirits. They'll try to destroy your soul. Exactly. Spirit's already saved. Yeah. Let's ruin the life. Yeah. Exactly right. Well put.